Welcome to an Uvula audio presentation of The Standards of Creation, a speculative fiction novel by Jay Campanella. The novel is narrated by the author. Copyright 2006. All rights reserved. And now, The Standards of Creation. Prologue. She knew she could not just kill the man. She needed him, but it would take all her self-control to withhold his obliteration. A short, blue-garbed Malaysian man was hiding behind a pile of plastic crates. He was firing ceaselessly at her, using an old automatic rifle. The steel-jacketed shells were pinging around her everywhere and ricocheting off the dense ferrocrete floor of the hangar. She was hunkered down behind a similar pile of crates on the other side of the hangar and preparing to strike back. She first altered the firing rate of her addressable neuromuscular junctions. She raised their discharge up as high as she could manage until the muscles of her arms and legs were veritably trembling with repressed movement. She then activated the ultra-high-speed visual acuity system in her ocular sensors and the coordinating program that would track the path of every bullet that her enemy fired. She took a deep breath. The world quieted around her as sound turned cottony and sight became a blurry, slow-motion haze. She surged forward in a ballet of motion and movement. The slugs from the Malaysian's weapon snail-snaked and reptated about her in twisting, progressive motions. She stepped and curled and turned. Her movement was continually forward, avoiding bursts of fire as if they were nothing more than slowly moving bits of flotsam and jetsam. Anyone familiar with Asian martial arts, if their eyes could have detected her actions, would have recognized the smooth, flowing, and percussive movements common to Kung Fu and Tai Chi. She had no gun, no weapon of any kind. She was the weapon. Still in a nerve-wrenching overdrive that would have literally torn apart the muscles of a normal human, she looped around the gunman in another balletically perfect movement. He seemed completely unaware of where she was. Oblivious to her location, he was still firing at the crates where she had been milliseconds before. Once behind him, she easily plucked the rifle out of his grasp and snapped it in half in her steel-hard fingers. It took the terrorist long moments to realize he was unarmed. While he pondered what had happened to make his gun magically disappear from his grasp, she shut down all the overdrive enhancement. Back at humanly prosaic speed, she twisted one of the gunman's arms behind him and used a simple leg sweep to knock the man to the cracked ground where he landed upon the twisted arm. A forearm bone snapped and shattered, breaking his fall and saving his head from a perhaps deadly bounce off the ferrocrete. He screamed in pain, staring wide-eyed at the woman who had just suddenly materialized beside him. She knelt on his chest, adding the weight of her body to his own on the broken arm. In French-tinged malay, she whispered harshly, Where is the girl? Eyes wide, almost deliriously, he answered in a screaming tone, I will tell you nothing. We are all prepared to die. She shook her head and narrowed her hard, dark brown eyes. No, I do not want you dead yet. She squeezed his thigh, using just enough force to elicit another scream. 
Where is the girl? She repeated. The man's eyes narrowed, taking in her small frame. She towered over him only because her knee held him down. She was a petite young woman to his eyes, at least six inches shorter than him. You are Satan! he screamed. I will tell you nothing. The end is coming for us all. She again squeezed his thigh. This time he ground his teeth together with a trembling jaw, gasping, but refusing to give in. She eyed him, barely nodding in an assent of respect. Little man, you may think you are brave, but you mean nothing to me. Anyone who would kidnap a three-year-old girl is worth less than the male in the sewers. She bent close to his face, narrowing her eyes and hissing in a marble cold voice that barely seemed human. I will rip off a limb every time you do not answer me. Not cut, not shoot. I will literally tear your body to pieces if you do not tell me where that girl is now. She finished in a mechanically enhanced roar that shook the big hangar building around them. His gibbering grew worse. Allah will protect me. He is sending the flames to free us all. Soon, soon you shall die in fire, like all the other minions of Satan. She did not like torture, but this man was leaving her few options. Her anger was beginning to rise. Why? Why did you kidnap the girl and make no demands? What do you want from the Prime Minister? Black eyes burned at her. We want nothing, he gasped, gritting his teeth. Nothing? She said, pushing her weight into his chest and onto his broken arm. He cried out again in agony, gasping, gasping, trembling for long moments. When his voice came back under control, he managed to shudder. The Prime Minister must see that the end is coming. We are preparing him for it, showing him that all is lost, that his daughter is lost, lost with everyone else and everything else. Eyes blazing. She grasped his neck with her enhanced fist. Your suicide cult is mad enough, but you cannot kill innocent children. I will not let you. He laughed, and a coughing fit through his pain. It is too late. Too late. He cackled. The cackle died as she squeezed harder on his throat. He looked almost happy, content, as her artificial muscles drained his life away. He smiled more broadly as she contracted her fingers. That mocking grin galled her more than anything. Matt, the woman finally spat, stopping the pressure entirely. She pondered his sneering face a moment. In a barely discernible rasp, she heard him whisper, Kill me, Satan slut! Distastefully, she responded, You are not worth it. She started to strike him, but instead let loose a flow of stunning electricity from her fingertips into his shoulder and spine. He trembled and jumped on the floor as all his muscles lost control. He went limp and unconscious. She slumped against a crate, almost as limp now as the stunned kidnapper. He was the last one, her final lead. Stupidly, she had systematically killed all the other terrorists on this abandoned airbase. That was all they had wanted. They were a suicide cult, after all, part of a weird Sikh Muslim sect that insisted that the world was coming to an end in the next few months. They thought they were showing their faith to Allah by killing themselves before he needed to do it himself. She did not understand their motivations. 
Their original insanity had been bad enough for the last year in which they had been taking their leave of this world, but at some point a splinter group decided that they wanted converts. What better way to get the population of Malaysia to convert to the death cult than to get the Prime Minister of Malaysia to commit suicide? Kidnap and kill his daughter, and nature would take its course. Dirty bastards, she muttered. She had tracked the splinter cult to this old abandoned U.S. Air Force base, and she had dealt with every one of the cult members, disposing of them as quickly as such garbage demanded. She had spared this last one, but he was a hard, crazy bastard. Even her bluff of ripping him to pieces, which she could actually do, had not worked. He was never going to tell where the girl was, or whether she was even still alive. He had said it was too late. The base was silent now that the last enemy lay here, still and unconscious. The occasional squalling tropical bird called out, and she could hear the lap of the ocean where the airbase was now half-submerged from the seawater's drowning swell of the last hundred years. She stared off blankly into space, quiet, thinking. The girl was here someplace. Her intelligence on these madmen had made that clear enough, but where was she? She pondered a moment as a thought struck her. She pushed the gain on her hearing up. She turned up its sensitivity as high as it would go, and then activated the automated filters controlled by the molecular computer in her belly. She then just sat and listened as hard as she could, and with all the concentration she could muster. At first, she heard nothing unusual. Distant traffic noises, the gently lapping waves, motorboats out on the water, the stentorious shallow breathing of the unconscious man beside her, the cool metal of the hangar squealing around her as it expanded in the midday sun, the bare whisper of a breeze in the fetid jungle air, a family of skirling, skittering mice behind her. She digitally filtered out these annoyances one by one, categorized them for priority in this place and subtracted their presence from her environs. The world grew quieter and quieter around her as she purposely deafened herself to its ambience. She bit her lip as she finally blanked herself from the auditory equation. She sat cross-legged in a lotus position, resembling nothing more than the giant golden Buddha statue she had passed on the roadway some twenty clicks back. She extended herself extended her senses for anything that did not belong here, anything at all. And she found nothing. She swore, damn it all to hell, nothing. She heaved a silent, shuddering sigh that she could not hear. The girl was dead, gone. The madman had been telling the truth. Her eyes snapped open, and she was on her feet in an instant. A killing arc of electricity crackled at her fingertips as she trembled in uncontrolled rage. She glared at the body of the prone, blue-robed kidnapper at her feet. She might not be able to save the girl, but she would end this as it should be ended. This pile of merd wanted to die, while well, he would get his wish. In a red rage that she had never felt before in her life, she thrust her charged, crackling digits at the man's pallid throat. And then she heard it, faint, quiet, quiet, but there. Her hand halted. 
the digital subtraction was still active, so the tiny, barely discernible dissonance in the world about her stood out like a dim beacon would in heavy darkness. It was a gasping, a tiny, tiny gasping. Not an animal, not the wind, not artificial. Her automated pattern recognition system told her it was human, but she did not need a stupid AI to tell her what was obvious to any human's ears. With barely a thought, she stunned the man at her feet with another jolt of electricity and sprinted out of the hangar and into the heavy air outside on the broken, cracked tarmac. The gasping was being produced within 200 meters of her, but she had to localize it. She moved in this direction. She noted that she was drifting toward the center of the old airbase. She strained to triangulate on it. The sound was getting more insistent and labored, even as it grew slightly in volume. Now standing in the center of the former airbase, near what had been its flagpole, she knew she was as close to the obviously dying girl as she was going to get. She scanned nearby in every direction and saw nothing except crumbling buildings and broken pavement. Broken pavement. She glanced downward at her feet. The ferrocrete tarmac was cracked into chunks and pieces here, like everywhere else around her, but she instantly noted that the dirt between the pieces was cleaner. In a square, puzzle-like area, the dirt between the mosaic of fragments was darker and richer in color. It had not been exposed to the sun and sea air for the last forty years. This area had been recently excavated. She bent and madly began to rip the fragments of tarmac away, throwing with abandon. The petite woman did not stop to look for a shovel. She turned off the nerves to her fingers, and heedless of the damage she did to the derma of her hands, she steam-shoveled at the earth with her bare digits. The plastic packing crate was just below the surface. The fanatics had not needed to bury the girl any deeper, with pieces of tarmac there to camouflage the site. She ripped off the lid of the box in a single motion and knelt to gaze into the plastic crate. Huddled there was a tiny, prone, semi-conscious figure. As the air hit the youngster, she slowly began to revive. Gasping and trembling, eyes tearing from the sudden flood of sunlight, the black-haired toddler blearily struggled to look up at the woman with huge, wet, dark eyes that bespoke suffering. She started to cry uncontrollably, with body-racking sobs. The woman lifted the child from the crate and hugged her slight body tightly. She whispered, It is all right, ma petite. I am taking you home. As the girl sobbed in happiness, all the harder into her shoulder, she made the most important decision she would ever make in her life, a resolution that would alter the path of her existence forever.